Good morning, everyone. It's wonderful to resume our Emuna class. I want to thank uh, Sarah Katuna for sponsoring this morning in memory of Michal Mendel. Ben, Michal Mendel, Ben Moshe. Neshama should have an aliyah through our study and commitment to grow in our Emuna. I also, um, I ordered online if anyone would like them. I have a ton of them. Chavetz uh, Chaim Heritage Foundation a few weeks ago in Tazriya Mitzorah, we spoke about Shemir Salashim, avoiding gossip and uh, two strategies. Remember, shut it down. That's what I should actually make stickers that say shut it down or something that sits on oh, the Shabbos table. Yeah. But anyway, Chavetz Chaim Heritage Foundation produced these stickers. Uh, one says, think before you post, and the other says, how would I feel if this post was about me? They're meant to put on your phone or your laptop and uh, before you engage social media to, uh, yeah, so we have, so I don't know if you want to pass some of them out. If anyone likes would like there more than uh, welcome to. Okay, we are continuing in uh, the night, the 21st chapter of Mesil HaSasharim. And again, we're not studying the Mesil HaSasharim per se, Ramchal per se. Did AC shut down again? Can you check it? Um, we're not studying Mesil HaSasharim per se, but this parak, this chapter within it, is dealing um, with Amuna Bitachon, which is our subject, and that's why we've been going through it. So just to remind you, because we didn't meet last week, um, the Ramchal laid out the distractions and the, um, the obstacles to living a life of Amuna and Bitachon, and talked about the fact that you cannot be living a meaningful, mindful life if you don't designate time for Hisbodidus, if you're not designated time for thoughtful contemplation, if you're not tapping into the words of David HaMelech with Tehillim he talked about, um, and biographies of righteous people, stories. Stories are what move us, stories are what motivate us, not reading self-help genre or literature, but you read a biography of an amazing person and it gives you the hope and the aspiration that we too can be amazing. But what we're up to, and hopefully we'll finish this parak today, is that the Ramchal spells out that the biggest challenge to living a most purposeful, mindful life, the biggest challenge to leading a happy life, and I think our generation is experiencing this really acutely, is anxiety, is worry, is fear. People are gripped by fear and anxiety. What is, what will be, what's going to happen, how will it happen, who will it happen, what will, be what, hap- what will be when it happens. People are very, very anxious, neurotically anxious about so much. Some clinically, and that needs a clinical treatment. We're not minimizing that. But even all of us, not clinically, I'm not saying to the point of needing therapy or medication, but just to the point of constantly worrying, constantly worrying about everyone and everything. And that is a big obstacle. It's, uh, first of all, the worry, the anxiety is, uh, is hurting our health our breathing, our blood pressure, our respiratory cardia, it's hurting our health, it's hurting our relationships because when you're worried, it drives people away. People don't want to be close to a warrior. People don't want to be around negative energy. They want to be around optimism. They want to be around positive energy. They want to be around hope, not hopelessness. So it's, it's hurting our relationships and it's hurting our capacity to experience this world. You're never fully present and you're never fully experiencing what you're doing if you're worried and you're, and you're anxious. And what is the antidote? What is the response? So that's what we were up to. So let's start again from, we're on page Kuf Nun or 150. Again, this is uh, chapter 21 in the Ramchal. We may be rereading a little bit of what we've read, but so be it. We are rereading. The factors that lead to the loss of chasidus, meaning you're not living a mindful, present, meaningful life if you're worried, if you're anxious. When a person is preoccupied, when you're distracted, 
when you're obsessed by anxiety, and the anxiety, by the way, overwhelms, overcomes, and grips you, so that you become irrational, so that you actually end up sabotaging your own success. You hurt and compound your problems because your anxiety clouds your judgment. You're not making the best decisions. You're not having the best conversations. And when a person gives you positive feedback, a person's giving you feedback or help that can avert your problems because your anxiety, you're so anxious, you end up hurting yourself. It's mafsidei. It's, uh, it's something which denies you. So without quiet, careful contemplation, without the ability to step back and say, okay, what's my situation? Here's my situation. How am I going to deal with my situation? And once I've done all that I can do, I'm good. I'm good. Beyond that, the, the story we're going to tonight and tomorrow celebrate Lagba Omer. Lagba Omer is an amazing holiday. It's a recent holiday. If you read the history of Lagba Omer, it's very fascinating. We take for granted um, it has ancient roots, which it does not. Um, it's really more, much more recent, particularly the notion of the, the bonfires and the Kabbalistic and Meron is all relatively, relatively recent. And, um, and the whole institution as a whole really is predicated on the idea of Rabbi Akiva's students stop dying. I mentioned on Shabbos in the Shir. It's a very bizarre holiday. If you wake in a kid in the middle of the night, you say, why do we celebrate Lagba Omer? Why the party? Why the fireworks? Why the fire? Why the food? Why the music? Why the dancing? They'll say, well, what would you say? Plague ended. Rabbi Kiva's students stopped dying. So there's two questions on that. The Prichadash is one who asks, and the Chida also, Rabbi Kiva's students stopped dying. Why did they stop dying? Because they were all dead. Because they were all dead. <laughs> they stopped dying because there were no more students wow. to die. So you're going to celebrate that Lagba Omer, the students stopped dying? They didn't stop dying because all of a sudden there was a mass tshuva movement. They didn't stop dying because there was a, a mass change that gave them worthiness. Stop dying because there was no one left to die. But even if that's not true, except for the five we're going to talk about, but even if that's not true, even if there were more students and the plague ended, who makes a party and celebrates the end of mass death? When Jews were liberated at the end of the Holocaust, they didn't come out and make a party. They regrouped and re-energized, did what it took, but there wasn't a party. Why are we celebrating this with a party? Yes? So it's partially Rishon Barichai. That's one component of it, but that's a more recent. That's much more recent. And that's also, he died. I'm saying, that's no, you know, it's your site. Correct, but there were many. The Chassam Sofer was very opposed to the celebrations. He says, we don't mark a Yurit site with celebrations. We mark it with meaning. So it's one thing to sit and study Zohar. It's one thing to mark a Yurit site with meaning, but we don't mark it with, with bonfires and barbecues and, and fireworks. Well, the question is what he meant by a Hilula, but... But even so, the Rishim Barichai is only one component of the day. The other component of the day, outside of the more Kabbalistic circles, the main component for people is Rabbi Kiva's students. So who at the end of a mass death, of a tragedy, celebrates? Because so the Chidah and Berchiyose both say, we're not celebrating the end of the tragedy. What we're celebrating is that Rabbi Kiva did not become hopeless. He didn't give up. Many others would have returned from 24,000 funerals and delivering 24,000 eulogies, and paying 24,000 shiva calls, and they would turn it in. Rabbi Kiva would say, I started this when I was 40 years old, look at the success I met, now it's all gone. What's the point? I'm done. I'm going to retreat, sit in a room by myself, learn. I'm done. But he didn't. He identified five new students, or maybe the five remaining students, and through them, he renewed and transmitted. Our whole Torah that we have today comes through those five students. Rav Asher Weiss points out that we don't have one quote 
We don't have one Torah teaching from the 24,000 students. We don't know their names. We don't know who they are. We don't know what they stood for. We don't know their teachings. The entire Torah Shabbat, our entire tradition, our entire Mesorah comes through those five students. It was the fact that he had hope. He wasn't hopeless. He was positive. He didn't give in to any negative voice. He re-energized and rededicated himself. And that is the message. So, and that's also the message of Hashem Bar Yechai. Because the Gemara says that when the Romans came to get him, first he had in the basement, hid in the base Medrash. And then he went to the cave. In 13 years, he lived in the cave with his son. He came out. His son, he saw the people working in the farm. Rabbi Lazar couldn't understand why they're doing such mundane activity. He looked at them with his eyes. They burst into flames. He was destroying the world. They went back into the cave. What's the deeper meaning of all that? <coughs> it's not for now. But what ultimately led him to emerge from the cave permanently? So the Gemara says that he would take excursions out of the cave every now and then. And one time he saw the birds. And he saw the bird hunters. And sometimes the bird was trapped. Sometimes the bird wasn't trapped. And he came to realize that what determined whether a bird was trapped or wasn't trapped was not the, the acumen, the wisdom, the skill of the trapper or of the hunter. It was the Ribbon Shalom. God determined not only do human beings experience providence, not only are we subject to Hashem determining our lives, but even a bird. Which bird will be trapped and which bird will soar? That Hashem determines for whatever reason. I don't know what the merit or demerits of a bird are, but for whatever reason, Hashem determines. So Rav Shem says, Rav Melech Biderman, Rav Shem says, he goes back into the cave and he says to his son, if a bird, which one is trapped and which one is free, is determined by Hashem, not by the hunter, so all the more so me and you. We're worried about the Romans. If Hashem wants us to succeed, to be free, to be safe and secure, the Romans can't touch us. And if our time has come, if it's not the Romans, it'll be through something else. So what are we hiding in a cave? We have nothing to fear if we put our trust and our faith and realize that it all comes from Hashem. So they emerge from the cave. Now, does that mean that you go and you buy a home in, in Janine or Ramallah because you say, it's all from Hashem, so I'm going to start a new neighborhood in, in Janine? Of course not. We've spent a lot of time talking about the balance between initiative, Heshtablos, and Hashkacha Pratis, divine providence. You don't test fate. On the one hand. But on the other hand, once you've done your initiative, once you've put in your all, once you've done what you can do, let go and let God. Now you sit back and you say, and that's what Shimon Bachai realized. That's what we're tapping into tonight and tomorrow are the holidays of Emuna. It's exactly what we're tapping into. What we're tapping into is that notion and that capacity that once I've done everything I can do, why would I be anxious? To be anxious, the Chazanish writes, is to deny Hashem's existence. Anxiety. Anxiety is an act of kfira. It's her- heresy. Because anxiety means, I don't really trust Hashem's going to do what's in my best interest. I don't really believe that what's going to happen is what's meant to be. I don't really believe that this will be good, even if I can't feel how it will be good. Do you think that someone who has clinical anxiety could allow themselves to no. get to that? No, and I want to be very clear about that. What was your question? The question is, someone who has clinical anxiety... Someone who, who, who's struggling. Right. So somebody who has mental health challenge of anxiety to the degree that it's diagnosed, I think that I'm sure listening to these Amuna, not me, but being involved in Amuna, Amuna Shiurim, Amuna messages from whomever, and there's no shortage of, of, of ways to get it today, it happens to be. Which is, by the way, such a reflection of how desperate our generation is. Yeah. Every day I see this, like a new rabbi has put out a book, a WhatsApp group, a text message, a phone call, uh, whatever, and, and, and it's beautiful. No one's competing with one another. The more reinforcing there can be about Amuna. But what does it show? If all of that's happening, what does it show is that there's a desperation. 
that despite our technological breakthrough and despite our affluence and despite our, our world we're living in with all of its pleasure, people are empty. They're, they're desperate for the message of Emunah, the fact that there's this enormous resurgence of, of Emunah out there. So can it help a person who's clinically diagnosed? I, of course it can help. Um, but it needs, I think, it needs more. And no one should ever suggest that it's all that's needed. Oh, you have depression? You have anxiety? You need to work on your amuna. Clearly you have an amuna problem. God forbid, God forbid. Any more than you know, the person who has a physical illness, it's not, well, you really need to work on your, on your amuna problem. Can amuna help us encounter, overcome whatever challenge we have? Yes, but it's not, but it's not really the answer. So um, that's what the Ramchal here is writing, is that what's the big obstacle? Mafside. It's mafsid. It's robbing you. It's stealing. It's robbing you of your happiness. You could have happiness. You could have health. Physical health, emotional health, mental health, happiness, relationship health. And what's robbing you of all of that? Anxiety. Now, if you're anxious whether you'll perform, that's good. In other words, if you're concerned and you want to make sure that that drives you, that makes you have ambition to do it, to do it right, to have a good work ethic, to be a, not a perfectionist in a, in a negative sense, then that's great. Such anxiety, I wouldn't even call that anxiety. Right? I gave a big talk in New York on Sunday for the OU. I was nervous about it. That nervousness, that anxiety was good. I made sure I wanted to prepare and I went over it and I really wanted to do well with it. So that anxiety drives you. That's good. You're nervous about your test. So you're going to study. That's good. But once you've studied, let go. You've done your part. Now anxiety is mafside. It's robbing you. It's robbing you of your happiness, of your relationships. It's robbing you of living in the moment. So let go. Melech Benjamin also brings down, there's a Pasuk in Yeshaya. It says, It will be your faith that you had during hard times that will be your strength for salvation. The faith you had during the hard times is what's going to be your strength that brings salvation. It's a Pasuk in Yeshaya, Lamed Gimel, 33. The Gemara in Shabbos says, from this Pasuk, from this verse, we learn the names, this is not in your source sheets, from this verse, we learn the names of the six orders of Mishnah. Shas stands for Shisha Sidre Mishnah, the whole oral Torah was divided into six categories. Six categories. How do we learn it from this verse? Vahaya emunas, it will be your faith, is Seder Zraim. is the order of Mishnah that deals with the laws of planting, the laws of mitzvah hatliyus It's the laws of, of, uh, of the land of separating Shumas and Maisras and the like. Itacha, in its time, is Seder Moed, which literally means time. That's the order of Mishnah that deals with all the holidays. Sukkah, Yuma, Rosh Hashanah, Megillah, Psachim, and so on. Then you have Chosen. Chosen is, during hard times, is Seder Nashim. I don't know what the correlation is there. Yeshuos is Seder Nezikin, salvation. Chachma is Seder Kadshim. And Da'as is Seder Taharos. So Rav Melech Biderman says, why is Emunas, faith, is Seder Zvan? Why is the farmer who's planting and plowing and harvesting, why, why do we correlate that the first order of Mishnah, the first order of Talmud, is learned from that word emunas. What's the connection? So Rashi there says in the Gemara that Seder Zerim is all about agriculture and giving maizer and giving gifts. And you're only willing to separate from what you have if you have faith. Right? I see people who are very stingy, frugal. They're not willing to get stuck or they're not willing to help. Some of them are gripped by, by fear. I worked hard for this money and what will be and what if the economy turns and I'm on a fixed income and I don't know what's going to happen and what if I lose and how can I give to others if I don't know I have enough for myself? So the person who lives life in that way, who's stingy in that way, is a lack of emuna. Is a lack of emuna. The very act of tzedakah or chesed is the affirmation that 
I know Hashem will always provide me with what I need, so I'm able to share and help others with what they need. So Rashi says, that's the connection between Seder Zoraim and Emunah, because the farmer who's willing to tithe from what they bring in, right? So the, the farmer first has to plow, and then he plants, breaks his back, and he nurtures, and he then harvests, and he brings in his produce that he's literally broken his back to produce, and then he takes off 10% and he gives it away. Yeah. It's unbelievable. Yeah. Why? He worked hard. What if he's going to run out of figs or apples or wheat or barley? How is he going to sustain his family? Because Emuna. He says, you know what? I can give away because I know, I'm confident I'll have enough. Tosus gives a second explanation. Tosus writes, Emuna is Raim because the Yerushalmi says, Hamamin olamin He believes in the Creator and he plants. What does believing in the Creator have to do with planting? So the so the Chiddush Arim, the Ger Rebbe says that if you wouldn't plant and you trust Hashem will support you anyway, that would express Amuna. But once you plant, how does that show Amuna? Isn't planting the opposite of Amuna? You go to work and you work hard, maybe that means you don't have Amuna. Chiddush Arim says, how is planting the expression of Amuna? So he says, the farmer has the opportunity through his demeanor to show Amuna. Because the farmer, he plows and then he plants the seed and now he waits. He waits for the rain. Will it come? Will it not come? Will his crop grow? Will it spoil? Will there be an infestation? Will it be safe and secure? What will his, what will his demeanor be? So he does his hishtadlis, he does his effort, and then he sits back and he waits. And he says, whatever will be, will be. I did the best I could. I plowed, I planted, I used pesticides, I did everything I could to protect. I've done my part, now I'm letting go, letting God. And that's what the Chidush Arim says, that's what Tosus means, that Hama'amin b'chayha olamin zoreya. He's zoreya, he does his ishtadlis, he does his effort, and then he's ma'amin b'chayha olamin. After that, he back, sits back, and now he trusts in Hashem, that Hashem is going to take care of the rest. So that's exactly what the Ramchal is saying here. That to live a life of amuna is, not to be, not to fool oneself. You can't sit on the couch and think someone's going to drop a brown paper bag of cash at your front door. <laughs> if you're ma'amin b'chayha olamin, you're zoreya. If you believe in God, you know that you have to do your initiative. You have to go to work. You have to apply for the job. You have to invest wisely. You have to do your initiative. But once you've done it, stop worrying. Stop worrying what's going to be and what's going to happen. Send out your resumes. Take your interviews and then realize whatever will be is meant to be. And in the right time and the right job opportunity and whatever one is going through as painful and as difficult and without minimizing that because there's real suffering and there's real difficulty. But one can go through it and be broken by it. One can go through it and be stronger from it. One can go through it and become hopeless. One can go through it and have great hope. Rabbi Akiva, it only forged his hope more. And tonight and tomorrow, we'll tap into the energy Rabbi Akiva gave us with Lagba Omer of second chances. Shimon Bar Yochai saw those birds. He didn't go back to the cave and hide under a rock, literally. He said, I'm not subject to the Romans. I'm not subject to this interviewer. It's the Rebona Shalom. So when it's the right job and when it's the right opportunity, it will work as long as I do my initiative. So why am I worrying? Why am I up at night? And why am I have shallow breathing and my blood pressure through the roof and I'm destroying my health and I'm fighting with my husband or, or with my parents or with my children and I'm, I'm absolutely forfeited in conceding any happiness that I could have, all self-imposed sabotaging my own life and happiness because I'm so gripped and consumed by worry and by anxiety. Anxiety never, ever made anything better. The anxiety never got you the job, never freed up the traffic, never got rid of the illness, never made the children give you more nachas, it never produced the shalom bias. Anxiety has only, 
only. It's poison. It's not medicine. So stop taking poison. Start taking medicine. And moon is the medicine. And worry is the poison. And they don't go together. They're oil and water. They don't mix. In fact, if they go together, the anxiety undermines the amuna. Yeah. So, you know, you go to the amuna shir and say, oh, that was great. Amuna, beautiful. Ramchal, that was amazing. Ramelech, bitterman, that was fantastic. Arim, that moved me. Amuna, amuna, amuna. And an hour later, you're on the phone with your child, with your this, so anxious and what's going to be. And I'm so worried about my kindlach, about my enoklach, about the flight I have to take, about the thing, about Shavuos, about the investment, about the doctor's appointment. <laughs> so what was, the, what was the point of going to the Amunah Shir? They don't go together. They don't, they don't go together. They don't go together. They're oil and water. They're medicine and poison. If you pop a pill, the, you pop the antibiotic, but then you take a poison, it's not going to help. Amuna is the medicine and getting rid of the, the anxiety is, is, is taking more amuna pills. That's exactly what we need to do. And to live with anxiety is an act of heresy. Yes? I think in general, the, the, the problem with this that I experience is not, not having enough amuna, but how do I know that my status was enough? Oh, when, when to find that balance. Excellent. Everyone knows Rebbe Zintauger? Who's doing an incredible series for women in our shul, which just began? It not. began this week, right? Everyone should make sure you see not, the, we have a full page flyer. Do not miss it. World renowned educator, author, and so honored that she comes to Arshirim, that she could be giving this a hundred times better. So thank you for coming. But everyone should sign up and go. We're very uh, honored. The Taugers are living in our community, I don't know how long, hopefully longer, to be near their children. They're here on sabbatical. Um, but we'll take advantage of the opportunity to learn from them. Rabbi Tauger has written many, many, many Sfarim gives on Hasidus for men. Uh, during the week, and, and Rebbe Tzintauger is giving. So it makes a very important point, which is that anxiety comes in when you were talking about the balance between Amuna and Bitachon. We've, we've spent time on this, right? That you can do too much Ishtadlis. So if you go to work every day, you run a hedge fund, and you're, you're work from 6 a.m. to midnight every day, if Hashem wants you to have billions of dollars, you can have it and be home at 8 p.m. And if He doesn't want you to have millions of dollars, you can work till 2 a.m., and you're not going to have it. So there's such a thing as over and over is a lack of amuna. If you're working, so to say, too hard, now that doesn't mean that your boss has asked you, and if you don't stay, you, know, you can't tell your boss, your boss says, I need you to stay late tonight, and you say, I have amuna. So I'm going home, I'm going home early. They say, you're fired. And then Hashem says, moron, the amuna was the job I gave you. But I'm saying, let's say you're your own boss, and say so you're just going to work harder because you're going to get more money. You're going to take on another opportunity, another case, another job, another investment. At, point, at some point, you have to say, die. Dayenu is die. Because Baruch Hu is one of his names, is Shin Dalad Yud, Sha'amar La'olamo Dai. Sometimes you have to be able to say, enough. I have enough. Or it's enough time I put in for Hashem to make me rich in that time. So there's such a thing as over established, but there's also such a thing as under established. Where you say every day at 2 o'clock, I'm going home. I want to take a nap. I want to go fishing. I want to go to Chavrusa. I want to exercise at the gym. I go home and I have Amunah. That I work from 10 to 2 and Hashem's going to provide. That's also not Amuna. So you could have over Ishtadlis, you could have under Ishtadlis, and like the three bears, you got to get just the exact right Ishtadlis. Not too hot, not too cold. It's got to be just the right amount. How do you know what the right amount is? That's a mystery. And first of all, it's separate for every person. And I think that the metric or measure to figure out what the right amount is, is what's reasonable. Within, in your line of look, work, within your profession, what's reasonable? What do reasonable people work? And when you go beyond reason, it's too much established. And if you go what's less than what's reasonable to be working and think you'll make a livelihood, then it's lack of established. So finding that balance is very important. So you could have anxiety over whether I'm finding the right balance. 
But that's also a negative. At some point you have to say, you know, Rav Nachman was a very big believer, and this is an extreme version of Emuna. Rav Nachman was a very big believer that one shouldn't be anxious even within the mistakes and sins they've done. Rav Nachman believed you were meant to make that mistake. So should you learn from it? Should you have remorse over it? Should you pledge never to repeat it? Yes, that's the Rambam's formula of tshuva. But what are you going to do? Sit on the couch and be anxious and tense because you did a chayt, because you had an indiscretion, because you had a miscalculation, because you made a mistake? It was meant to be, right? Forget, I won't give, I won't give the example in the world of chayt. But let's say you've been doing well and you're eating. And then you had a bad eating day. You gave in. You were overtired, so you didn't have the discipline and you overindulged and you ate all the things you weren't supposed to eat. So the next day, what are you going to do? Sit there and beat yourself up and be tense and have anxiety and be anxious over your bad eating day? So what will that do? It'll make you go need to eat another pint of ice cream because you're so anxious that yesterday you had a pint of ice cream. So Rabbi Nachman would say, you were meant to have embraced that day. Nothing the Rebona Shalom orchestrates in this world. He made you overtired. He made that pint of ice cream appear in your freezer. He made it fall out of the freezer when you opened the freezer so you couldn't help but eat a little bit before you put it back or, or eat it because there was no space for it. You're such a tzaddik. So, so uh, Rabbi Nachman would say, the Rebona Shalom God orchestrated things. So that doesn't mean you're excused from it. Learn from it. Don't repeat it. Feel bad about it. But don't be anxious about it. Don't be anxious about it. Ad kedekach, that's how far anxiety goes in robbing us and sabotaging us from any happiness whatsoever. Let's, I said we we're going to finish this this week, so let's fly a little bit here. Koshe True about the worldly pleasures. The more you're drawn to the worldly pleasure, if you're trying to keep up with the Joneses, you need that brand name, you need that car, you need that logo, you need that emblem, you need the brand, you need to keep up. You know who's keeping up? There's a, last week a big study came out, a survey that was done by a, um, by a, a debt company, did a big study, uh-huh. and it said, I hope I don't offend anyone in certain age categories here, but that millennials are going into incredible debt over FOMO. That was the headline. That millennials who suffer, the non-millennials don't even know what FOMO is. FOMO is fear of missing out. Fear of missing out. So if you grew up without the internet, so you only knew what you were doing. Maybe you had a friend or two who told you where they were or what they were doing, but you couldn't live with anxiety over what everyone else is doing because you only had access to what you were doing. But now, when you look on your device every three seconds, and with Snapchat and Instagram and Facebook and Twitter, you're not only living your life, but simultaneously you're living the life of everyone you ever met or didn't meet or is connected to someone you met. So now you know what they're eating and where they're vacationing and what they're experiencing, what they're having and the new dress they bought and the car they bought and the nachas that their kid is the smartest in kindergarten. And you're now experiencing life, not only your life, you're experiencing simultaneously the life of your 5,000 closest friends. And that is, that is not only contributing to the enormous spike in anxiety and depression and suicidal ideation, but it's also for the millennial population, it is exploded in debt, in debt. Why? Because previous generations understood that you need to make bar and bat mitzvahs and weddings. You want to buy a house. You need to someday retire. So you need to have discipline in your finances because you need to have savings. You need to have save for a rainy day. There's a whole bunch of reasons. But millennials who, it's not a knock on millennials. I'm telling you a survey. And it's not just, and it's not just millennials. We all have this. You can be 80 years old and on social media and we all have it. But now there's like FOMO. I got to go to that place. I got to buy that thing. I got to try that restaurant. I have to experience that thing. So that FOMO is causing people to spend beyond their means and to go into debt in order to be able to afford it. That's what's going on in the world today. 
right? Surveys and statistics and data and studies that are, that are showing that. Why am I telling you this? Oh, because when you're drawn to that world of enticement, so you no know one on Facebook's like, I just finished an amazing sheer. And you have FOMO. Oh my gosh, I missed that sheer. I got to go to that sheer. I'm going to start going to that sheer. Right? That, the FOMO is not over the sheer, the blood gemara. I just had an amazing davening. I just said to Hillam like I've never said it before. You don't, you don't see people posting that, nor do you see FOMO over that. Which halavai we would. Halavai we would go into, into spiritual debt over our spiritual ambition and cravings. So Ramchal says when you live a life of FOMO, when you live a life of keeping up with the Joneses and competing and so on, it's going to draw you away also. Because why? You're going to have crazy anxiety. I can't make a bar mitzvah that competes with that bar mitzvah. Our logo is not going to be as impressive as that logo. My 13-year-old son who's now a brand and a logo and an enterprise and a corporation who's got a, a logo at 13 years old. I can't keep up with those centerpieces. I can't keep up with that whatever. So if you live a life of measuring yourself against everyone else, it's going to drive unbelievable levels of anxiety in you, says the Ramchal. And when you have the anxiety, you're going to struggle to have the amuna. You struggle to have the amuna. you're going to make bad decisions. And you're going to say, you know what? Take out three more credit cards. We'll put it on the credit card. But how could we make a, a Shalom Zachar that's not going to compete? We need 10 bottles of the best-selling single malt and so on. So, And as our rabbi said, what we're going to earn this year, you think that you're working hard now, you can adjust that? What you're going through right now, what your finances are, was determined on Rosh Hashanah. It was determined on Rosh Hashanah. Now, it's a whole separate sugya. It's a very complicated one. So what does that mean? So why don't I stop working the rest of the year? It's already been determined how much I'm going to get. Can I sit on my couch? So it's been determined what you're able to get. Not that you'll get it. What, what, the, what the limits, what the boundaries of what you can get, that's been determined. You could work a gazillion hours, you're not going to make more money than what Hashem determined that Rosh Hashanah would be the max you can make. That's it. And you can work really hard and be nervous, you're not going to get by, you won't make less than what Hashem determined would be the bottom of what you can make this year. And and what are you worried about? Your competition, your rivalry in business? That rival can't touch your income. I'm giving it Shavuos, our theme for Shavuos. I'll start already advertising for Shavuos. Our theme for Shavuos this year is professional and pious, being a Jew in the workplace. And we're going to talk about fantastic topics, really interesting topics. So one of my shir, my middle of the night shir, or 12 o'clock at night shir, is, um, is all about uh, kosher competition. Should the ORB be regulating which restaurants and caterers and stores can open up and not open up and what they can serve? I'm pretty suicidal. That's why I'm giving this year. So, um, right? I'm not, this is not the conclusion of this year. But you shouldn't fear your competition. Why? Because God runs the world. He can have enough for your competition and for you. You could have no competition and fail. You could have all the competition in the world and succeed enormously. So the moment you become ruthless with your competition, it's a lack of amuna. You're undercutting the competition. You're stifling the competition. You think you have to have a monopoly against the competition. You're threatened by the competition. And if or when that happens, it's a lack of amuna. Because the Baruch Hu is the one who determines what you have. Your competitor can't take it away. A person might have been able to sit and do nothing. For the recognition, maybe in Gan Eden, the way that Hashem originally designed the world, you could have sat doing nothing, and Hashem would provide nonetheless. But you know, we made a big mistake. Our ancestors, Adam and Chava, made big mistakes. And the consequence was that we have to work hard if we're going to sow. So therefore, we cannot access Parnassah without doing work. 
and the work is not sticking the key in your challah. You know, the biggest segula for Parnasa is having a job. It's like a tax which has to be paid by the whole of mankind and it cannot be evaded. Right? You can't earn income, at least you can't do it legally if you don't pay taxes on it. It's kind of the prerequisite to earning money is you got to pay taxes. You can't escape it. You can try to escape it and it will catch up with you. And then the consequence will be much worse than whatever you had to pay in taxes. So the Rebbe Shalom says, working hard is the taxes we pay to earn our income. We don't have the luxury of sitting back and the money just flows in. That's the way Hashem orchestrated things. I said I spoke on, on Sunday in New York. Um, right before me, Charlie Harari spoke. Charlie's a fantastic speaker. He's the best. So he gave a great mashal. He talked about with our children. He said, you know, your child is starting to walk. You hold a lollipop. So the child stands up. We're, we're cruel. He, he said it was only Charlie Ken with his arms flailing and high energy. I was exhausted just listening to him. I needed a nap. His energy is like so through the roof. He's absolutely amazing, Charlie. So he said, you hold a lollipop and the kid who's learning to walk, you know, stumbles, takes that step. And when they're about to grab the lollipop, what do you do? You pull the lollipop back a little bit. So the kid continues to walk. And then your child gets there. What do you do? You pull it back a little bit more. The child lunges forward. Until we're, we're cruel as parents, right? That's what we're doing. Now the child thinks, what are they doing? What is this exercise? Why is their parent doing that? With the big smiling face and encouragement. Come on, you can do it. What does the child think it's all about? The lollipop. Child, parent wants to give the child a lollipop and the child needs to arrive to be able to give the lollipop. The child, the foolish, young, naive child thinks it's all about the lollipop. But the parent understands what's it all about. I'm trying to teach you to walk, and I want you to walk to me. So Charlie said, that's exactly, we think it's all about, we're davening for the parnasa, we're davening for whatever we're davening, thing, but that's the lollipop. Hashem says, you silly child, I keep pulling the lollipop back because I want you to learn to walk, and I want you to walk closer to me. So we, th- right, it's a great metaphor. Thank you, Charlie Harari. Ach, lo hu amoel. But don't think that the hishtadlus is what's working. So it's not that the effort or the initiative it's what yields the results. No. Is what's walking, what's get the child... He didn't say this part, Charlie. Charlie, I'm adding on to what you said. Right? He didn't say this part. It's not that the child's walking is what got the kid the lollipop. What got the kid a lollipop? Because a parent desperately wants the child to be happy. All a parent wants is to put a smile on the child's face. That's all they... Need a lollipop? <laughs> all, all the parent wants is to make the child happy. So the child wants to give the lollipop. So the walking is not what got the lollipop. That's so silly. It's just that if you don't walk, I can't give you the lollipop. Why? Because I'm trying to teach you to walk. And I want you to walk closer to me. But really, I want to give you the lollipop. Your walking is not what earned the lollipop. What, what earned the lollipop is that I love you and I want to give you the lollipop. But I'm giving you the lollipop to initiate and motivate you to want to walk and to want to walk close to me. So says the Ramchal, don't think that you're working late at night and your interviews and your effort and your initiative is what yields the result. No, Hashem's got a storehouse. He's got an otzar that is filled, it's overflowing with bracha that He wants to give us. He just designed a world that we need to trip and fall and stumble and walk to Him in order to be able to get it. Once you do the ishtadlas, yatsa yidei chavasa. That's your part. You've done your part. It's like the key to unlock the blessing that's waiting. Behind the door, Hashem has designated for us unbelievable blessing. 
But the key to unlock the door is the effort that we have to take. I shared this a thousand times with you, but I'll share it again. The lesson I learned from my brother-in-law, who's a lawyer. He says that, you know, he always has to remind himself, he's an excellent lawyer, um, but the networking... You know, some people love the networking and live for that. Some love the law. So every now and then he has to remind himself, you know, renew his, his networking to drum up more business, to make it rain. So he schedules a networking trip to come in from Israel. He has all kinds of meetings, people he's done business with before, prospects, friends, and then he goes back to Israel. And he says inevitably every time he does it, new business comes in. And invariably, the new business has nothing to do with all the meetings that he had. And he understands that. So you'll say, well, what am I bothering for? Why do I come in and have all these meetings? Exactly. The key to unlock the door where all the new business is behind is showing your effort, your initiative. The initiative doesn't always correlate with the results. So in the world of Shidduchim, you think that you're going to go to this event and you're going to hand your resume to that person, you're going to meet with that Shadchan, and then all of a sudden, out of left field, someone who knew someone set you up and you got married. It had nothing to do with all your efforts. So you say, you know, I did the effort, but it was a waste. Really, it came from left field. No. The fact that I did the effort was what I needed to show Hashem so that He could provide it from left field. You're interviewing for jobs. So you send out your resumes, you schedule the interviews, in the end they lead to nothing, but someone knew someone who knew someone who helped you get a job. So, well, no, the, the rest of it wasn't a waste. It was Yatsi Dechova. That was the key to unlock, that was the code to unlock the bracha that was waiting behind the door. We're up to the last paragraph. The proper path is the path of the Hasidim Harishonim. Osim Torasim Ikarum Malachtan Tfeila. Their Torah, their life of mindfulness, of Torah, of Amuna, that was the core of their being. And the Malacha was Tafel. So when you go on that networking trip, or you send out your resume, now you have to explain, the Shidduch resume or the work resume, when you send out the resumes, so the resume is the Tafel, that's the secondary. The Iker is the, the little formula, the little tefillah that you should be saying, Yihiratzon, that as I make this meeting, this appointment, Hashem, that I'm doing my Ishtadlis, you should grant me my bracha. The, the Iker is the Torah, the Iker is the Amunah, the core, the foundation is to be mindful, is to turn to Hashem. Let's say you're Ishtadlis, because I'm not so opposed to, I had a key in my challah. Somebody was so concerned, they dropped off delicious challah with, with the key. So I say it's a school for the dentist if you don't find the key before you invite it to the challah. So, so, but the key of the, the, the key, the key of the key in the challah is not the key. It's that when you eat the key, you're reminded that the man fell from Shemaim, Lecha Mishnah is a reminder of the man, Parnasaf is from Hashem, I have Amunah in Hashem. It's not that, oh, I put a key, so even though I'm a heretic and a kofar and I don't believe in Hashem and I disregard everything Hashem wants from me and I speak gossip and I dress uh, inappropriately and I watch it, but I put a key in my challah, all's good. That's not, that is not our religion. I can't do what I want and tie a red string around my wrist and everything's good. That's another religion. That's not our religion. Our religion is that Torah is the Iker and Malacha is Tafel, assuming that those things are even Malacha. Once you do your initiative, what's left? You do me your Malacha, then you get anxious. So you have a little money to invest in a mutual fund and a stock. So you know what? You do your research. You meet with a few people. You have a broker. You read up on it. And you make a choice. So now you made your choice. You put your money in that stock. Now what are you going to do? Drive yourself crazy? Sit there anxious and worried and stressed and check it every three seconds and what will be and I don't know what will be. That's ridiculous. It's absurd. You're going to rob yourself of your, of your happiness. What do you do? You take your initiative and then you let go, let God. 
You rely on Hashem. And then your mind is free to enjoy life. And your heart is open. That is the end of Pick Up a New Limud in Mirza Hashem next week. We'll choose something new to learn in Amuna. Don't forget to go to Rebbe's and Tauger. is on Monday nights. 8.30. Monday nights at 8.30. You don't want to miss that special opportunity. Have a great day.